the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 174, recorded Friday, December 19th, 2014. Prince Not Dead. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. Good afternoon. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. This is the last, uh, I guess, live uh, AV Week of the year. Next week is Christmas. We uh, typically do a best of. It's about a 30-second show. Um, it, was a, it was a joke. It was a joke. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> Bradford. See, I've already done it. First up, Bradford Ben, uh, our, uh, our our token uh, sound effects guru and uh, from Harmon. How are you, sir? Jeez, thank you. Thank you. Thank oh, you very man. much. Feeling very good. It's uh, still early where I am, but uh, feeling good. Happy to be here for the last live show of the year. Yes. Uh, also with us is Brad Grimes uh, from InfoCon <laughs> International. <laughs> Thanks, Bradford. How are you, sir? Good, thanks, Tim. Good. Uh, I will point this out. The last time I had either of these two gentlemen on together, I have messed up their names. I said Brad Ben and Bradford Grimes, so we'll see if I can keep that straight this time. Uh, and last but not least, our favorite uh, women in, woman in AV, A.V. Dawn, Dawn Mead from NetAV. How are you? Hi, everyone. Very well, thanks. Dawn gave blood today, so she deserves a round of applause for that. So we'll see. Uh, go ahead. Dawn gave blood mere minutes ago, so if Dawn gets a little loopy, we're going to have to be understanding and caring. Ah, you know what? I'm I'm already loopy. It's the last show of the year. It's show is the the year is winding down. We're we're getting ready. I'm honestly very giddy. Uh, a number of you know this, and and a ton of you gave uh, for the Kickstarter. Uh, to help us get to ISE. Um, a quick update on that. Plane tickets are booked, bought, and paid for. Uh, we're doing something I've never done before. Uh, we we got a, a place using Airbnb and saved nearly $1,000 uh, doing it that way instead of doing hotel rooms uh, and got a place about three minutes away from the RAI. So, yeah, um, trying to trying to be as, as economically uh, sensible as possible and, and uh Chris Nuno suggested we try out Airbnb, and I'm like, ah, oh, sure, what the heck, we'll, we'll see what we can do, and holy cow, yeah, saved a ton of money, and <laughs> only problem is, is I have to see George Tucker in his boxers, so, you know. <laughs> uh, but the apartment, the photos I've seen look gorgeous, so yeah. I'm jealous, I can't go. Yeah, it's a, it's a two-story apartment, right? Uh, now, something that one of the guys uh, pointed out uh, in our email chain yesterday was, you probably won't be going on the roof uh, in Amsterdam in February, but it looks nice. You know, it, it looks cool. So we, we're actually we're probably going to try to do a show from there as well. So, 
Uh, all right, let's kick this off. We've got a couple stories uh, to hit it before uh, before we let you guys go and get out of here and enjoy your enjoy your Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and all the other activities. Uh, first up, this is from uh, Sound of Communications uh, magazine. Professor Sennheiser uh, is handing over the chairmanship of Sennheiser uh, to Dr. Frank Heinrich. I believe that's how you say his last name. Um, the uh, Professor uh, Sennheiser just turned 70 years old, and he's handing over basically the reins of Sennheiser Electronics to uh, Dr. Heinrich. Brad, Bradford, we're going to start off with you here. This is the first time um, someone not named Sennheiser is going to be running Sennheiser. How big of a deal is that? I think for the first year or two, it's just going to be that's a little bit small, but it's kind of like when Dr. Harmon left Harmon. Okay. Uh, it, there's a certain thumbprint that every CEO, every leader puts on there. And when your name's on the outside of the building, it it makes you, I think, a little more careful with some of the decisions and also, to some degree, a little more free with some of the decisions because you're like, well, it's mine. I can do with it what I want. Whereas I think that the new the new team, I think it's a good move for Sennheiser to do, let's run this as a business. Uh, it's just, it's a change. It's going to it's gonna surprise some people. Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing. I know for Harmon's standpoint, it's been a good thing, you know, as we've changed and evolved over the past couple of years. So I think it's the biggest deal is the fact that the Sennheiser family is stepping away a little bit from it, it's, as well as just the fact that a company that large is changing their, uh, their leadership role. Yeah, uh, Brad, this is not the first change we've seen uh, this year. Uh, earlier in the year, before before he passed away uh, in in November, uh, George Feldstein handed over the reins from for Crestron. Um, is this kind of a shift here? Are we in a, in a position in a period where a lot of these companies are going to start shifting, um, not necessarily away from the family owned, but just changing leadership? And how how big of a deal is that for the industry? Well, it's inevitable, right? I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a great reminder that uh, a lot of this industry was built by really smart men and women who had ideas and built their own companies, and a lot of these uh, companies are still privately owned. They're, they're their loves, they're their passions, they're, they're their family, and it can't last that way forever. You know, things move on, and um, if the companies are to stay in business, and a lot of these are great companies that have great brands, um, a lot of reins are going to get passed over, uh, passed along in the in coming years, and you know it's an exciting time, uh, and we'll see how it all you know shakes out. But you know this is this was inevitable. This industry has really been built around uh, you know families and people and individuals who who did great work and built great companies. But if they're going to continue on, that you know someone's going to take over. So this is a this is one of many steps, and it'll be exciting to see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Don, from a standpoint of you know um, not just the technology, but also all the other things that, that Sennheiser has going on in the U.S., they are not the biggest player outside of the U.S. They're actually a bigger player. Uh, but what is that going to do for? Eh, I don't want to say their market share, but how they're positioning themselves. Like Bradford said, somebody that's whose last name isn't Sennheiser uh, is running the company. So does that mean that they're going to be more cautious or maybe more aggressive? I'm not sure what the company is going to do, but I will tell you a move like this, I think for investors, for potential partners for the company, they're going to look at something like this as a good sign. 
um, really you're, you're talking about a company that thought ahead about their continuity plan and put it into action. And much like the case with Crestron, um, you know, when Randy took over, um, and it, but the Feldstein family was still in there. And in fact, Dan Feldstein is still part of the company. It's not mm -hmm. like yeah. they left completely. Similarly here, Dr. Sennheiser stepping down, but his sons are still the CEOs of the company. Uh, Dr. Heinrich is actually just coming in as the head of the advisory board. So he's bringing in the technical expertise and the business acumen, but it's still, the family's still there. And so, you know, from that regard, we're not gonna lose anything from Sennheiser, but they thought enough about their continuity, about their business going forward to bring an expert in, someone that will hold the hands of the, of the family members and take them into a, into a new future. And I think for investors and potential partners, you want a company like that and not one that's, oh no, our owner, founder, visionary passed away, now what? Yeah. You, you, need to, you, you need to have confidence that the company that you're doing business with is gonna be there and be a force. And I think a move like this that was planned and strategic is gonna be good for them in the long run. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. One of the biggest ones that have happened in the last 10 years uh, is, is Steve Jobs, right? Uh, where, you know, he was obviously in failing health and, and eventually lost his battle. Um, Tim Cook took over about a month or so ago before he actually, before Mr. Jobs passed away. Seems to be, uh, at least as of right now, seems to be a, a pretty seamless uh, a seem pretty seamless transition, both from a product standpoint as well from from a stockholder standpoint. So, uh, all right, uh, from uh, from one of our favorite uh, our, one of our favorite CE Pro writers, uh, Julie Jacobson, the Thread Group has reached fifty members. Um, now, if you're not familiar with what Thread is, Thread is is is, is, a, is a weird little interesting not weird this interesting little Internet of Things consortium. Uh, first came around sometime in the uh, in the summer, and, and it's it's all these little um, home devices that can talk to each other, right? They they make this this mesh network, and it's not a true mesh network, so don't write me emails saying it's not really it's not really a true mesh network, but it's it's sort of one, right? Um, there's not as many home automation uh, members yet, though. Don, when it comes to getting a, I, I guess a head of steam. Or you know, a, a, just a critical mass. Is there a magic number where uh, either people like um, like uh, Crestron with Ping or AMX or or a Savant or uh, Control Four, some of these folks uh, would say, "Hey, you know, then you know, at a hundred, there's you know, that's enough, or at two hundred, that's enough, or is it just going to make making sure that this thread thing has legs and it's not you know just a kind of a, a, a here today, gone tomorrow thing." I'm not sure that there's a critical number per se, or even a critical influential member, because if it was something quantifiable like that, we could just bottle it and mass produce it and be successful in everything. <laughs> yeah. Too, okay. You know? That's valid. I, I would not be worried about, you know, making the mortgage payment. If that were the case, I'd be rolling <laughs> in it. Um, but I think for, in a case like this, they're going to reach a critical number just from sheer volume of little guys or they're going to reach that one guy at one of the big names that has the vision, that catches the vision from them. And once the big company jumps on board, then everyone else is going to be like, oh, this thing's for real. This, that they just landed whoever, you know, and it's one or the other. It's either going to be all the little guys and the big guys are going to say, oh, crap, we better catch up. Or they're going to just be luck out and get that one visionary for one of the big names and, and they'll jump on and that'll make the difference. 
but you can't really quantify it or say it's going to happen Tuesday or, you know, next year or whatever, because it, it, it could fizzle out. It could go gangbusters. You, you just don't know. Um, and I, I wish it was quantifiable because yeah. then we could, like I said, bottle it, and make money. Bottle it, make it money, and, you know, sell it. So uh, one of the ones that I, 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 I I'm going to give some free advice to a fellow uh, Bears, uh, Bears fan. Because we all can, all of us Bears fans can use some good advice. Uh, my buddy Sean over at Chewy should actually jump jump on this. Uh, Chewy's a as a they call it an electronic doorbell for Internet of Things, but it's it's more than that. It's got facial recognition or something like that. So Sean, you should you should jump oh, wow. on this. Uh, cool things. He was at he was at Cedia this year. Uh, speaking of Bears fans, Brad, um, where uh, uh, where do you uh, where does Thread uh, fit in the whole? scheme of AV and, and, and making things work together? Uh, or is this strictly, does this strictly only have residential legs? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, op, I'm optimistic that cool technology will catch on, you know, no matter whether it's residential or consumer or, or commercial. Um, you know, we've, we've seen other smart home, wireless, meshy, uh, short wave communicate, you know, short range communication uh, technologies out there. Um, you know, some of them are going to catch. You know, things like Zigbee and Z-Wave have been around for a while, or as long as I've been going to uh, to CDA and other shows. Um, Thread, uh, you know, it's got it's got as much upside as as all of them, and it's got some uh, big names already putting devices out there. So, uh, with this kind of technology, I'll just take a wait and see uh, approach. Um, and as we know that a lot of the stuff that goes into the home or goes into residential or consumer markets uh, ends up in, in commercial markets eventually just because people get used to it and people know how to work with it. This was great technology. The, the Nest thermostat and some of these other technologies are, are really interesting and fascinating. Um, hopefully they'll trickle up. Mm, yeah, I like that. I like the, the trickle up idea. Uh, Bradford, from your, from your standpoint, um, this is a lot about control and, and, and automation and making the house greener and stuff like that. Is there any place, I don't know, um, integrated audio and video maybe, would that entice more folks? Or is this pretty much just going to be about making the home greener and making our lives a little easier uh, as these different disparate devices kind of talk to each other? I think uh, getting disparate devices to talk to each other is going to be a, a bigger thing than people want because I've already seen it, um, me personally, with the fact I have seven remote controls for my home theater system. Yeah. So I think the disparate devices talking to each other and the, you know, if I turn on the light in the room, why can't my background music follow me? Or, or when I get home, why can't it turn on this? Or, you know, I can program it, and if the TiVo is set to record, it can do this, or if I pop in a DVD, it can do that. The, the, the tipping point to me is when it has that one can't-miss feature that, you know, as Don said, you can't, you can't put success on a calendar or that tipping point on a calendar. Uh, so, you know, I thought it was going to be the Nest thermostat, and then came the drop cam, which is pretty cool. But it's me that one, oh, I got to have this and it makes my life so much better. Kind of like adding a phone to an MP3 player where everyone went, ooh, cool idea. Uh, so I think that's going to be the tipping point. But I do see this definitely following along and having the impact of, oh, I can better control stuff now. Uh, 
I can make my home follow me instead of me following my home. It can figure out I'm home or I'm not home and turn things on and off as appropriate. So I do think it has some very cool features. And and to, to Brad Grimes's point, being able to trickle up to the other market where people are going to start to go, well, if I'm at home and I walk into a room, it knows to turn on the lights and it knows, you know, oh, don't turn on the sprinklers for whatever reason. People in the home, in their conference rooms are going to be able well, at home, I can do this. Why can't I do this here? So I do think it's a good thing all around. In terms of the control, I think the more control people are aware of is better for our entire industry together. Because it used to be, you know, I don't know how to run it, how to change the music station uh, using an AMX or a Crestron or an Extron or take your take your pick touch panel because it's too complex. And now people are like, oh, it's just like using an iPhone. Let me just go ahead and press play and everyone's happy. So I think it's a good move for us and that people will be embracing more and more technology in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if yeah. I could jump in one more time, you know, Brad said it very well, you can't put it on a calendar when things are gonna succeed. What we're talking about with this thread stuff is basically a realization in the market and in the technology of what we talked about in 2011 at the last Infocom 100 that I intended. It was on smart buildings and automation. And at the time, because it was Infocom, of course, we were looking at the commercial sector. Well, as Brad says, things trickle up now. They don't trickle down. The commercial sector is not leading in this. It's instead the home consortiums, the thread, you know, the, the nest is driving where we're going now. And finally, four pushing five years later, the things that we talked about in 2011 are starting to come to market. They're starting to be a reality. And, and, and the tipping point will come when enough people have it at home and buy in that all the, all the corporates are like, oh my God, I have to do that now. We should have been doing that already. Or again, a big market leader is going to come in and, and jump on board and make it all talk nice but yeah putting the disparate this this was the point that infocom made in 2011 was making disparate things talk together is what av integrators have done for generations we make this manufacturer talk with this manufacturer talk with this manufacturer and then amx or crushdrawn or whoever makes it all go so when it comes to it and building um you know the heating and air conditioning and the mechanical and all that stuff all coming under one umbrella this is our wheelhouse, man. We should be the ones driving some of this. And especially now that it's coming from the home end, some of these resi guys, man, you've got so much opportunity. Get out there and, and join this, do this, because it, it could be the thing that makes you. Now, I, I will preface this statement by saying this is my wheelhouse, right? This is where my brain goes. But that's by, done by, by control systems, right? Am I, am I wrong, Don? I mean, that's, that's how we do it in the, in the pro world. We take an AMX or a Crestron uh, control processor, and through various uh, languages and ones and zeros and you know relays and this that and the other, we make the Johnson control or the the train HVAC system you know turn to a certain degree when the lights come on this that and the other and we've got shade control and we've got photovoltaic cells and and talking to to building management we're talking to BIM and and BACnet and this that and the other that's done by one main processor. Uh, per room sometimes or per building sometimes. It depends on, on the installation and the design. The thing that I, I like about the, the thread, or at least that, that in, in my head it makes a, a lot of sense, it, the potential, is the fact that it's not one person, right? It's not one company. It's, it's, it's all these individual folks talking together, which is kind of neat. And, but what I think that's actually part of the challenge, mm -hmm. uh, sorry to jump 
on you, Don. I thought you were going to say something, but what I thought was was uh, was is part of the challenge is just that it's all these disparate companies trying to talk to each other. And if you when it doesn't work, which company do you call? The integrator, <laughs> the right. person but who that's, put it that, in. That's what I think is going to be the tipping point for it is and you know we can talk about this with in the pro world with when Dante doesn't work you can call Automate or you can talk about the fact that the Wi-Fi consortium is around to make sure that Wi-Fi works with Wi-Fi and I think that's going to be the the key thing is making sure that Thread as the consortium does the interoperability testing and they make it simple because to your point of the AMX and Crestron and Extron and you know Control Four and all these control companies—they spend a lot of money working on those. Excuse me, on the libraries and interactivity with them. And I think that's going to be the tipping point for anything. Is the reason we use these professional control systems because they figured out all the interoperability and you can put it into that central engine. Whereas at the home system, people are going to want I plug this in and this in, and they talk to each other, and all of a sudden life's great. It sounds funny. It's the whole reason I have Apple TV at home. I know there are other solutions. But I plug my Apple TV in and it talks to my iPhone and I can stream from it and it talks to my Mac. Poof. All works one brand. And it's, you know, I think that's going to be the key for Thread to be able to, to come along is that they get that interoperability working so that I hate to say they don't need control companies, but that's going to be the tipping point of it's got to be something that's so simple it works. Because obviously with Apple TV having streaming, there's still other streaming companies out there for better resolution for the corporate environment. You know, even with Google Hangout, we still have have VTC systems that are going yeah. in. So, but it's that fact yeah. that it's so simple it works is where it comes in. Go ahead, Don. And Brad, you're exactly explaining why it was 2011 we first started talking about this, and our industry, the pro AV world, hasn't really gone anywhere with it. And the 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 home guys and these other related industries are starting to catch up and surpass us. And that's, unfortunately, it hurts my soul to say this as a pro AV person that loves our industry, but this is where we're still backwards. This is where we are, where the computer industry was in the early 80s, because if you put in Crestron, they can control everything with their proprietary little things that are Crestron and Crestron, and we can talk to them, but it's our system, and if you ever want to replace it or add to it or build it, you're with us. Same with AMX, same with Extron, same with a lot of them. And that's same why there are Apple. now... Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and other than Apple, and only because of the whole cult of the eye people, but other than Apple, the rest of the computer world, sometime in the early 80s said, you know what? This Packard Bell computer or Hewlett Packard computer with all the proprietary systems that don't fit any memory cards and you can't upgrade, you just have to buy a new computer, that's crap. I can go and pick up a memory card and do my upgrade myself if I make it standardized and it'll work and the entire industry has blossomed from that. You know, these hot swappable drives and things that just fit in a motherboard. They caught on to standards really early in the IT world. That's why we have IT standards. That's why we have certifications. And that's why AV has been trying to catch up with our standards and certifications to get to a point where, you know, if we make things a little less proprietary and a little more open, a little more standards-based and let things talk to each other, then if I really love this particular shiny AMX panel, but I really love Crestron's backbone or its its controller, 
I can buy them both and give everybody some money and let them work together and have them control what I want and it'll make it easier on everybody. I know I'm speaking blasphemy and waiting for lightning <laughs> bolts or, or to get disowned by all my friends that crashed on an AMX or whoever, but that that's kind of the problem and why groups like Thread are going to pass us up and then it's going to trickle up and we're all going to be out of work. Well, yeah, but I disagree a little bit, uh, mainly because the I think we've seen this with, I'll use AVB as, a, as an example. Its whole idea was let's go open source and open standard and everyone uses it. And Dante came in and said, we can make this work a little sooner. And poof, the market said Dante, so everyone jumped on Dante. I think it's up to us as the consumers to tell the manufacturers, I want thread and I want open interconnectivity, which is why Packard Bell stopped doing that stuff. So I think part of the part of it falls to us of the we need this, we need this interoperability. Because I can tell you from a manufacturer standpoint, you know, when people say we need this product and here's why and here's how many hundreds we're gonna buy, we go, hmm, much more interesting than the here's this cool technology that we might sell three of. Right. Yeah. I'm not trying to be crass, but it is business. <laughs> No, it is business. Everything's, you know, it, uh, as my buddy Kevin Iselli says, you guys are all coin-operated. You know, no, nothing nothing wrong with that. Brad, did you want to say something, sir? Well, to me, I mean, the beauty of Thread and Nest and everything like that is, um, I, w I don't want to say they didn't reinvent the wheel, but when, when someone said, oh, my God, there's this really smart thermostat out there, I said, yeah, I've seen thermostats, smart thermostats for years. I mean, thermostats that can com communicate with control systems, thermostats that can you know, adjust based on circumstances in the home. They, they didn't invent something that didn't exist before. They invented a application in a way no one else had thought to. Uh, it's just like, you know, now we touch every screen we see, but it's not because there weren't touch screens 10 years ago or 15 years ago. It's because uh, Apple or someone else um, looked at the way people wanted to interact with technology and with their environments and the space they're in and conceived of an application that people would adopt. And so, um, I, you know, I found it really sort of interesting when, you know, some of these control companies came out of seemingly nowhere and were just embraced by technology press, mainstream press. You know, we've known these things for a long time in our industry, but someone, uh, you know, cracked a code that got people really intrigued and got really interested in the application. And that's good for everybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the one thing I, I, I have a silly question here. I, I don't know, Don, that so that that it was that it took the computer industry a short amount of time, right? Because if you think about kind of when it happened and how it happened, it was the late '70s, early '80s when they started doing this. I mean, even I remember going to Radio Shack, you know, when I was a kid. And they still they had, actually had electronics back. Well, then? they actually had electronics back then. They had Tandy computers. You guys remember Tandy computers? TRS-80. Yeah, they had their own OSs. They had their own. I mean, everything was proprietary. I mean, if you think about when the first, the first mechanical computers, right? I mean, don't, there there were you know analog computers back in the 1800s, but the the you know, post Turing computers like the 1950s, 1960s, all those IBM giant things that took up you know more room than than the studio I'm in. You know, those were all proprietary. And I guess that the the um, relation I'm making is, you know, that's kind of we're in the, the 1960s, 1970s era as far as control systems. Right. You've still got AMX. You still have Crestron. You still have uh, Aurora. You still have, you know, all these guys that are doing their own thing. 
We need DOS, right? We need a control system version of DOS. We need a control system version of BASIC uh, or of Windows um, because that's kind of what wrapped everything together was love him or hate him. Uh, it was Bill Gates and, 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 and DOS and then Microsoft and then uh, Windows that was on the IBM computers and that was on all these other PCs that kind of brought everybody together. I don't know who that is, but, <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, I, I can kind of timeline it, and I'm, I'm going to exactly date myself, but it was my very first PC, my very first computer my parents got me for the end of high school and to go to, go away to college. And God bless, well, Santa, Santa brought me my first computer as I was getting ending high school and going mm -hmm. away to college. And it, it was the, the late 80s, early 90s. That no, you're I lying. Got... It was like 2000. <laughs> God bless you. But Santa brought me a Packard Bell, and... By the end of my freshman year in 92, 93 of, of college, it needed memory upgrades and all kinds of upgrades. And my brothers, who were computer geeks, couldn't put anything in it because it was all proprietary. It was still proprietary, they said, yeah. wow, Santa brought you a bad computer. But by then, computers that were more open and, and standards-based did exist. Yeah. Santa just didn't really know better when he brought me my Packard Bell 8088 motherboard. Sexy well, Santa makes wooden toys for crying out loud. You don't never never trust an old fat man for for computers. Be careful know. what you say, Tim. But now I don't trust you. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Never mind. I got nothing because I'm an old <laughs> fat man. I'm a very nice, very well done. Yeah, give yourself a rim shot there. All right, um, we're gonna pick on a friend of ours, uh, Mr. Matt D. Scott from Omega Audio Video. Uh, and AV Nation, he's our webmaster and a very, very uh, fine, fine Canadian, uh, wrote a blog on AV Network, uh, how Facebook can complicate your AV proposal. Uh, Matt goes on to tell some interesting stories of his interaction with clients. Uh, and we're going to uh, kick off this discussion with, with the host of our very own AV Social, uh, Don Mead. Uh, Don, you guys, have, you and, and, and Kelly Perkins from AVI Systems, have done an awful lot of, of shows about social media and about how it can make your life better as an integrator, right? You can do marketing there, you can interact with clients. Uh, George Tucker uh, from, from, uh, from uh, World Stage has said many times uh, when he worked for Crestron, he at that time was, was one of the people handling the Crestron Twitter account, and he would interact with, with clients who were complaining or, or saying that they had an issue with their Crestron system. He was able to troubleshoot so you know there's a lot of stories out there about how social media uh in general can make the life of the integrator better does matt though have a point how in that can social media and and you know the blogs and the the, the yelps and and the, you know the angels lists and stuff like that can it make it more difficult and more complicated absolutely absolutely uh, one of the things that I teach in my class, shameless plug, at Infocom every year on social media is, you know, back in the day, and by back in the day, I mean like the 90s and the 80s, when people were shopping for things, um, Google has a thing called the zero moment of truth, mm -hmm. which is basically your decision-making or action-taking moment. And back in the day, all of 20 years ago, um, People would have like eight points of contact with either a brand or a technology before they'd hit that zero moment of truth, before they'd make that decision-making, action-taking, I'm going to do it. Today, with the internet, with social media, with all of these referral networks and things, I think the, I, I, and, and this number changes all the time, but it was 
over 100, 200 points of contact or information before they even decide to contact an integrator or a store. So they've done all of this research and all of this decision making before they even bring us into the process normally now. And this was never the case. It used to be, oh my gosh, I need uh, an audio system. I need to call my friend at, at Harmon to help me make a decision, you know, because I don't know anything about this. Now they do all the research, they read all the blogs, they see all the pros and cons, whether they're truthful or not, depending on which blogs and which articles and which Yelps you're reading. And they make a lot of decisions before they even get you involved. So it can make life tremendously more difficult for an integrator just, you know, facing down Facebook or whatever else the customer used. So it's even more important than ever that as integrators, we have our own um, education for our customers online, whether it's blog format, whether it's appearing on something like AV Week, we have our own knowledge base of why we're specking certain things, not just because, well, you know, Bradford came to my office and convinced me I want to sell this Harmon thing, so I'm going to put Harmon in the quote. <laughs> that may be part of it, but... You know, oh, but as an integrator, it's it's up to us to have a justification for the technology. If you're a responsible integrator, why you're putting a certain thing in, and we have to be able to explain that to our customers. That in the face of everyone online saying that that Bose speaker is the best darn thing you ever heard, we have to be able to explain the technical features of why maybe that Bose is not the best speaker for the application, and why you want to consider this other one. So um, it can tremendously make life more difficult, but if you play it right, it can also help. Okay. Uh, Bradford, we, we will end with you as, as the manufacturer of, of, uh, of record on this one. Uh, Brad, from a trade organization standpoint, how do, you, how do you help your integrators? How do you help the members of Infocom manage these waters? I mean, like, like Don said, you know, sometimes you're going to have to face some interesting questions and, and navigate... Um, some statements like, you know, the, the brand X is better than brand Y. Um, mm -hmm. How do you help? How, how do you help your members, you know, uh, live in this world of, of social media? Well, I, I loved Matt's piece. It was a, it was a great piece. Um, I think when it comes to social media, for integrators, consultants, anybody in this industry, it's important to first recognize that this is happening, that you could be working on a project and they could be talking about your work on the project as you're doing your project, uh, which is, I think, what Matt's getting at. I mean, people, uh, customers second-guessing them uh, on social media and things like that. So the first step is to be aware that this exists, that people can go out and talk about you, and you need to be monitoring it. So if you have a, a new customer that you're engaged with, you need to know if that customer's got a social media outlet and who from the customer is on social media. Um, not just to be paranoid, but to be, you know, I guess a little bit paranoid, to be monitoring these things and then to uh, decide as a company how you're going to engage on social media. It's, it's not wrong to, you know, hear, you know, something negative about your company or your services on social media and engage those people um, saying, you know, I'm sorry about to, to hear about your, your troubles or is there any way that uh, we can engage you and, and, and help you figure out your problem. Um, so we encourage people to be involved in social media because it's going to happen whether they like it or not, and uh, and it doesn't just happen obviously in this in this industry. It happens in our personal lives. It happens in every other industry. I mean, people yap on social media all the time, um, 
So it's important to know that it's happening out there, and it's important to have people at your companies engaged in social media, listening, monitoring, learning the tricks for to, you know figuring out who's talking about you online, and come up with um, policies and procedures for engaging people in social media to uh, identify their concerns and uh, solve them. You know, something I never thought of until you just said that, it's, it's kind of a window into your client's mind. You know, it, you know, there may be some times where they have concerns or, or issues with the way that you are behaving or the way you're treating them that they may not feel comfortable voicing to you, but they have no issue doing it to social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the most, the most challenging person on social media is the person you just, you know you cannot satisfy. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are going to be people out there who are going to pl- complain no matter what. Most people are not like that. Most people, if they have an issue and they took it to social media, and you say, I see you had an issue, let me, uh, let me help you out, will be pleased to hear from you and be pleased to engage and, and try to figure out their issues. Uh, the tough ones are the ones that uh, you know, you know, can't be satisfied, and, and you have to come up with ways to deal with those, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Bradford Ben, uh, first of all, you're, you have one of the, my favorite uh, Twitter um, statements typically on a daily basis. It's whatever today is the, the 19th of December. Bradford will usually say, today is December 19th, 2014. Please be kind to everyone. Um, yep. And then say something about the devils. Um, so uh, what, would you, what would you say uh, to either manufacturer, or like Brad said, uh, you know, to, uh, to, a man, uh, to an integrator, as they're getting into this, um, you know, take 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 Matt's article for example. You know, as the project's going on, how how should you handle that? I actually, uh, Matt and I spoke about this uh, about three four years ago at Cedia Indianapolis, sat on a social media panel talking about this exact fact. It's part of the new interwebs. The Internet of Things is also the Internet of Projects. The Internet of People. Uh, so everything kind of starts to, to dive in. And to Mr. Grimes's point, the whole, you know, you can, there are some customers you're never going to make happy. And they're just going to, they like to be unhappy and complain. Uh, so you have to be careful how much you involve and how much you jump in and how much you don't jump in. Uh, I think the one of the most important things uh, that a lot of people forget is at times, uh, you have to be careful when you do say something, whether you you mean it or not, as to when I'll be inferred it's coming from your employer. You know, or if, you know if it's you know if Matt or you or you know Don said something about AV Nation, you know, is it coming from AV Nation or is it coming from you know that person? And it's a fine line to walk because I know I struggle with it quite a bit, but it's part of the whole process of the, you have to decide to, to Brad Grimes's point of how much do you do you cater to the people that are complaining? Yes, we interact with them. Yes, we ask them. Yes, we get customer service to talk to them. But at some point, do you? I think you have to go. You know, this is the way of social media. This is people. People will complain about the things they don't like, but will never post something nice about what they do like. You know, think about it. If you go to a restaurant and had the best meal ever, you're one tenth as likely as you are to post about that. If if I remember the article right as you are to post that you had a bad time. And I think that's something just in human nature of they like to talk about what's bad. Uh, 
the thing is, is you have to kind of have a strategy, both as an integrator and as a manufacturer, of what is the social media structure, and you know who speaks for us. What can I talk about? What can I talk about? You know, it's one of these things where you guys know I'm in a hotel room, but I can't tell you what I'm working on, just because it's you know it's with a client, it's privileged. And now if the client talks about it, fine. But you know, I respect the client's right to privacy, and I. You know, hope integrators do as well. Of the, you know, we we're not going to talk about, but I think it's a very fine line to walk. And there's a lot of self-censorship that both as an integrator and as a manufacturer you have to think about. Of the, you know, yeah, the system would be done in time if you took your dogs out. Oh, and your contractor, you know, had actually installed the ceiling on time. That just makes us all look petty. So it's, you know, it's kind of a, an important thing to think through the whole. How do you want to interact? How do you want to talk? Just like you wouldn't just show up at a trade show and go, look, I'm here. Everyone come talk to me. That's what you get to do on social media. So you kind of got to think, this is the world's largest trade show that never ends. It's like a tube song. You know, welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. Come inside. Come inside. That's Very too nice. old for you youngsters. No. Back when they were vinyl. What's that? That's the records <laughs> that spin, have acoustic grooves in it that, you, that a transducer picks up. That sounds. Go ahead, Don. I say both both Bradford and Brad made really good points there. Bradford's correct. Social media never ends. It's always up. It's always on. And somebody's always complaining or always talking. And a little earlier, Brad said, you know, you shouldn't be afraid. It's not wrong to interact with somebody that complains about a product, a service, an issue. Actually, it's not only not wrong. You need to because if you just have a complaint out there in cyberspace or on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever and there's crickets your your customers that come and do the, all those moments of research before they decide to act are gonna say you know this company's not responding at all they're showing no interest in their customers I don't want to work with them so you have to take a deep breath I mean there's a whole art and science to interacting properly on social media with complaints in particular uh, Kelly and I did an entire show on it in November of uh, last year called Don't Feed the Trolls. So if you go back to uh, avnation.tv, it was episode 10 of AV Social, Don't Feed the, show, the Trolls. And we talked for more, more, more than an hour on the topic of how to address a complaint, how to handle it in a professional way, how not to address a complaint. And there are horror stories all over social media of how not to do that. And uh, we, we, we barely even scratched the surface of the topic. So uh, this was kind of a big bomb you lobbed at us to talk about because there's so much to it. But, um, I, you know, we could talk for days. But go, go check out that social, AV Social with Kelly and I. And I don't even remember a year later if we had a guest on that show or not. But um, we also talked about the topic on our, our very most recent AV Social when we had people from Marketing Matters and from Caster Communications who do this stuff for a living, nothing but social media. And they also talked about how to handle it. So you have to respond. You have to be aware your customers are online talking about you, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And then the best thing to do is prior to getting online, prior to having these conversations as an issue, come up with a strategy or a plan how you're gonna handle both good responses and bad responses, and stick with it. Yeah. And also to add to that, as a manufacturer and an integrator, 
don't get on social media and say, I just had the worst day ever because I was dealing with customer X, Y, and Z who, you know, <laughs> doesn't know a, a video feed from SDI, from HDMI. You know, it's like, it, it's a two-way street. Yeah. We as integrators and manufacturers have to be careful as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the one thing that's, that's neat about the conversation that Don and, and Kelly had with those, with those, uh, with Marketing Matters and with Castor is they primarily deal with the AV industry, <laughs> with technology industry, and that's what makes those two PR firms uh, and marketing firms unique, right? I mean, you can go out and hire, you know, whoever the most famous PR firm is in the world, but but those 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 two right there focus on on AV and, and technology, so that kind of makes them cool. So, uh, all right, uh, a couple more before we get out of here. I'm going to try to share this for some reason. Uh, Google Hangouts has not been kind to me in trying to to screen share, but we're going to try this. All right. Is the CNET magazine up there, folks? Yay. You see that? All right. So here's the story, right? Um, CNET is one, of those, is one of those sites, first of all, I've gone to since the 90s. Um, they started out as one of the uh, first online properties uh, that, that covered uh, technology, that covered um, computers and, and things of that nature. Uh, the reason I'm, I'm saying it the way I'm saying it is they started out online, right? The, this, uh, these folks were uh, great online sources. The, uh, CNET and, and, uh, and ZDTV were one of the first. Um, let's see how I put this. They're starting a magazine, <clears throat> an actual physical paper dead tree magazine. So, and, and as luck could have it, uh, Brad uh, Grimes actually knows some folks uh, that, that are not a part of this team specifically, but, but still at CNET. Uh, a couple years ago, CNET was purchased by CBS. Um, and that was an interesting thing. But, you know, hey, cool. You know, they, they use a lot of their folks. Um, but so the question is this, and, and, and uh, Brad, we're going to start with you, uh, simply because you've, you've been a publisher, right? You, you were part of ProAV for a very, very long time. What does it mean? <laughs> what does it say that something that started out as a digital, like all computer, all new media thing, um, is 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 going not going back, but is 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 getting into the uh, what a lot of folks, myself included, would consider to be the the old media model. Well, the short answer is it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. The much the much the much larger answer is well. I, I'm partial to magazines, yes. as you uh, indicated. I was uh, I ran a magazine in this industry. I was also involved with my my master's degree. I had to go back and uh, concentrated in magazine publishing. And when I was at PC World Magazine, speaking of a magazine that was once on paper and is not on yeah. paper any longer, um, back in the early '90s, I was invited to join CNET and be one of its first employees. And I said uh, to the person pitching me this this idea, I was like, "What?" Why would I want to online? What's what's this thing? What what is this web thing? There's no way I'm going to go take a chance. I just got this job. Are you kidding me? Did they offer you stock options? Just to... you know what? I Never my mind. life is filled with interesting regrets. And um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know they've been very successful and it's been turned over uh, many times and it's gone through many many incarnations and they've learned along the way. I mean, the CNET today online isn't like the CNET. Uh, that was, you know, in the early 90s. Yeah. They've learned how people like to interact online. Um, I also happen to know, you know, several of the people who are taking CNET into the paper realm. Um, 
And you know, I think they're only starting with a couple issues a year uh, to start with. Um, and I would not be shocked if other online properties go, you know, have a paper counterpart. Um, it's it's just it's another outlet. It's another way to touch audiences the way they want to be touched, the way they uh, you know like to interact with brands. Uh, I mean, you know, print is not dead by any stretch of the imagination. The print model may be different than it used to be. Um, you know, look at look at your favorite catalogs these days that are starting to look more and more like magazines with articles and features and recipes, if you will. People still like to interact with things in different formats. So I personally think that this is brilliant um, and I expect to see more like it. Okay, but <laughs> hasn't every smart pundit in the world said that print is dead? I mean, you look at what is it the 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 Seattle paper that came off and and no longer does a, a physical paper and uh, PC World magazine is it's so, so they're flipping it right and yet you're right they're they're only starting with a couple so the, so maybe the 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 scalability of it will will help it be a, a little bit more successful. Yeah. Well, uh, print is not dead, and I think everybody would agree with that. I mean, go to your your mailbox you know this afternoon and you'll see the print is not dead and. Um, Print has, like I said, has evolved. I mean, there are still. I'm still a huge magazine fan, and I still follow new magazine releases when they come out. Um, they may cover different topics than technology. Um, I, you know, I, I pick up magazines now that have nothing to do with the field that I'm in because I enjoy magazines, and new ones come out all the time, and they make money and they're successful, and they have online properties or they have conference properties or they have all these other things uh, involved. So it's not that I mean print is dead is a is is too broad a stroke. Um, it's evolved online as a serious and major component of any media or information brand. Um, but uh, you know, you know, I'm sorry that newspapers are having a hard time. I, I still pick up a newspaper here and there. It's harder to find them. But uh, uh, dead is is the wrong word. Evolved. It's it's all an evolution of communications. I like that word. Evolved. They've evolved. Uh, Bradford, from your standpoint, um, you know, is this is this interesting to you, or is it just you know, um, you know, yeah, you know, so we have another magazine. What what do you what do you think of this of this move by CNET? I think it's kind of interesting that to to Brad Grimes's point, it proves uh, media has evolved. Print's not dead. Uh, if print was dead, there'd be a whole lot more shuttered bookstores. The magazine racks at the airports would be a lot emptier. You know things like that. I think it's it's actually a good move. Of one of the things I find at least is I will read a longer printed article in magazine than I will online. I just find it easier. Hmm. Okay. It's personal preference. I think it's a good move of the of the manu of you know CNET to go. You know, having a hard copy gives us a couple of things that we don't get online. Like oh. We know the aspect ratio so that the drawings will show up right. We can do the pagination the right way. Little stuff like that that drives me bonkers when I read a Kindle book. But when I read the hard copy book, it's not a problem because the pages were laid out right. It's just the different media. And I also think it's give the customer multiple choices to consume your stuff. It's kind of like if you look at music, you can buy a CD. You can buy an MP3. You can buy AAC. You can buy FLAC. You can buy you know all these different formats in the mode you want. The key is to give the customers what they want in the mode they want. So I think it's a it's a good move by CNET. What I'm hoping comes out as a result of that is that you get longer, more in-depth pieces. 
whereas, you know, reading a short, you know, seven scroll item on the screen takes one thing, but being able to have like a 10 page in depth story on the evolution of motherboards from Packard Bell to build your own Arduino at home, you know, that's a much more involved story that I think might lend itself better to that format. But I do think it's still a very viable format to, to Brad's point, especially if you spend any time on planes. You'll see tons of magazines. It's very portable, very efficient, very recyclable. I think it's a good move. I, I kind of look forward to it. It's like I know I read SCN both online and print. Yeah. So I think it just gives you more ways to communicate. Okay. Very good. All right, Miss Dawn, you'll have the last word on this. Uh, what say you when it comes to, to CNET going uh, going the other direction from digital to, to analog, as it were? Wow, giving me the last word, and here I am about to quote Harry, God. Oh, good amazing. Lord, never mind. Okay. You don't have the last word. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, you know, to channel my sometimes paranoid slightly right of center husband, you know, this is perfect because when the EMP hits or the grid goes down, we'll still be able to understand oh, it, everything, or at least understand what the technology used to be. But <laughs> he's not quite that bad. Um, <laughs> no, he's pretty close. Uh, but it is. The book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it does. It, being able to have some of this information in printed form, you know, print doesn't last forever, but it lasts a little longer sometimes than the ephemera of digital and I know we just got done saying you know we, we tell kids all the time don't put stupid stuff on the internet because once it's online it's there forever it's like well that's true but at the same time it's not there at all because um, you know I've if, never lost if, a word document yeah yeah I mean yeah. if 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 the inner if, if if the grid did go down or if, if technology went away we still have paper we still have you know you can go to Egypt and look at the carvings on walls in tombs and see communication and knowledge from generations and generations ago. But I can't get this darn three and a quarter inch floppy disk that I have a paper from college that I'd love to look at again to run on anything to, to get that information. So having at least a few print issues, especially if they're taken care of well, it, that's good stuff. You know, it, it's worth having paper as well as digital. As much as I'm a digital fan, if you, if I could scroll the camera around the rest of this room, this is our library room, and it's just floor to ceiling because Harry and I are both big geeks, and it's full of books, yeah, paper books. So, and with our Kindle books, love them, very portable. Can't pick it up and read it during a power outage. True. Well, now my point is, it's kind of like digital photography. How many of us take a thousand pictures and no one sees them? Mm -hmm. But if you print it out and you hang it on your wall, people see it. Yeah. I put all my vacation pictures on my wall. The oh, <laughs> little old lady in the commercial. Good. Yep. That's not how that works. That's not how any of this works. All right. Uh, last story, and it's not really even, there's no comment here. Uh, but there's a bracelet now. This is from Innovate uh, on the net.net. A bracelet that transforms your wrist <laughs> into a touch screen. Uh, it, quote unquote, the bracelet turns the skin into a smartphone style device interface is on the cusp of mass development after its developers promised a prototype in a matter of weeks. Dawn, would you buy one of these? Take all my money now. <laughs> I want this more than I want a 60 inch OLED screen. Oh, wow. <laughs> Holy cow. That's, that's yeah. something. Yeah. 
if you ask Harry, I'm way too addicted to this. This is constantly in my hand. This is my little phone here. I, I'm always on this or the laptop or both. Sometimes even a third device at work. I have two laptops and my phone all the time. The secret, C-I-C-R-E-T is the name of this bracelet that's yeah. in development. Uh, the prototype of it is, pardon me, badass. I mean, it's a bracelet with a Pico projector on board yep. and sensors that when you, it connects to your phone, so you have to have your phone somewhere or your smart device, your tablet, whatever, but it connects Bluetooth. And when you get a call or when you wanna look at something on your phone and if you're in the bath is, is on their video or if you're out in the rain or wherever, you don't wanna dig out your phone, you just like shake your wrist, it projects your screen on your arm and then it uses the, the, the motion sensors or the, the you know light sensors mm -hmm. to see what you're doing. And it, it if, if it works half as cool as the video, Take my money. Take it now. Give me three in case they break. I want this. All right. Uh, Bradford, for you? Not going to do it. <laughs> not, 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 not the first it. generation or the second generation? <laughs> the, so this is me being the old cynic who's going to stand on the front yard and say, get off my lawn as I swap my newspaper at them. Uh Part of me is the, I'm more concerned about stuff. Oh, you wear a long sleeve shirt. Oh, I have a jacket on. Oh, I'm in a, I'm in a meeting with the customer and I shake my wrist and my phone shows up on my arm and it's a, you know, it's a picture of something inappropriate. Take your pick. You know, it's, that's what has me scared. I believe that, you know, it should be able to, to be removed from the body. Even though I'm like Don, have my you know my multiple iPhone devices, my multiple laptops, etc. I kind of like the idea of being able to step away from it. Do I think having a better interface is a good thing? Yes. Do I think that there are problems when you're that addicted? You have to touch yourself all the time. Yes. I I just find it you know kind of a little dis. I would find I find it disconcerting right now when I have people. When I'm in meetings with people who have the phones that, you know, you got an email and it shows up on your watch. I'm like, why do you keep checking what time it is? Oh, no, no, I'm looking at my phone. And it's like, but that's just as rude as, yes. oh, oh, I'm supposed to be paying attention now. And that, to me, is the challenge that I see with this, is will it be invasive? Well, and, and it's not embedded in your skin. It's not a permanent attachment. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure there's so. an off button. And I'm sure you can take off the bracelet and just wear it when you want it or need it. You know, I mean, yeah, you, but I, you gotta I, I, some self restraint. <laughs> but I still think it's one of those things of yes, I think it's cool. Yes, I have a Bluetooth keyboard that I use with my Apple TV because it's a better interface. But I also think that there's the other caveats of the oh, I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt today. Oh, I have hairier arms than than Don does, so it doesn't work on my arms. Oh, it's cold today. So, you know, so I get uh, goosebumps. And, oh, now all of a sudden I've just butt or arm dialed someone and on arm dial. Jeez. It's, I'm not saying it's not solvable. I'm not sure it's any better than me picking up my phone and touching it. Okay. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, I just, go ahead, Brad. Go ahead, Brad. I, I mean, technology-wise, it's, it's, a, it's a cool idea, whether it works or not. I mean, what you do in, in bright light and things, I, whether how it works, you know, the market will figure... What I love about this is I believe they're crowdfunded or they're, they're looking for crowdfunding. Um, and there's a lot of cool stuff going on on Kickstarter and some of these other crowdfunding sites. Yes, there is. 
what I love, I mean, for, for what I do is, you know, I troll crowdfunding sites for inventors, people who are doing stuff like this. I mean, there's no, there's no barrier now between the public and some of the smartest technology inventors on the planet who are, who are trying crazy things. Some of them, you know, obviously, you, you, you know, you have to use your judgment and uh, some of these ideas are crazy. Some of them are really innovative. Some of them are evocative, can get people thinking about other things. I love crowdfunding sites as uh, sources of inspiration, and I think everyone should troll crowdfunding so sites for you know things that people are trying to do that no one's ever thought of before. And you know, yes, we've thought of peak, doing peak projectors and other things, and there have been keyboards that you can project and things like that. I mean, this is if nothing else, this is cool. And I'm glad someone's trying. As Bradford said, you know, we'll see when the rubber meets the road. But uh, I just love that, that that we can get this close to inventors, um, and we don't even have to give them twenty-five dollars if we don't want to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to do it uh, for for this episode. Uh, with has has been Miss A V Dawn. Thank you, Bradford. Uh, Miss A V Dawn uh, from Net A V and the host of our A V Social. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for having me. It's been a good time and happy holidays, everyone. Yes, indeed. Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter at AV Dawn. You can find me all kinds of other places. But uh, you can find me earlier today giving blood. So since it's Yay. the holidays, if you're able, go contact the American Red Cross, Canadian Red Cross, whoever you have. And uh, if you're able, donate. It's helped save a few lives. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, also with us is Bradford Ben from Harmon International. Thank you, sir. My pleasure is always to be here. You shouldn't have shown me where the Google effects I, I were. I don't believe I did show you. I think you discovered that on your own. Is that a bad thing? No, it's fine. Jeez. Hey, look, <laughs> Matt Scott. Uh, <laughs> how can people find you? Uh, at Bradford Ben on Twitter, BradfordBen.com, BradfordBen at Harmon.com. Just Google Bradford Ben, and you can find all sorts of things out about me. I'm not sure I have, how many of it's good and how many of it's bad. I'll be the one trolling Kickstarter with Mr. Rhymes looking for cool stuff. I actually did kickstart a magazine, so I got the nice oh, very <laughs> cool. cutting edge and analog at the same time. Very and nice. Cool. Very nice. Uh, also, again, speaking of Brad, Brad Grimes from uh, uh, Infocom International. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Tim. Happy holidays, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Where can people find you or Infocom International? Uh, I'm on Twitter at bgrimesdc, uh, as in the District of Columbia. And uh, if you're not following Infocom, we're just at Infocom, and you can find out uh, what's going on around the world uh, pro AV wise. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, here in a couple of weeks, uh, a bunch of uh, AV folks will be going to CES, and after that, the Infocom slash Cedia show. Uh, Integrated Systems Europe uh, in beautiful downtown Amsterdam. So uh, check that out if you would. Uh, don't follow me, but go by the website if you would, please. avnation.tv. avnation.tv. You'll find this program, Don's program, AV Social, and a host of others. Uh, EdTech, which is a, a, a bunch of technology managers talking about uh, why you, what, you, what you should buy, what you shouldn't, uh, issues they've had. Uh, Live Life, uh, our new Power Over Ethernet show with Anthony Zotti. Um, Phil Cordell has a cool new cool show, so all sorts of stuff. Also, if you are doing the AV sweater, the hashtag AV sweater, please get that in this weekend if you're watching this live or over the weekend uh, because the uh, hi-fi Phil Cordell song um, 
which you could have previewed on last week's episode. Uh, the video is getting put together this weekend, and we need all of your lovely um, pictures of uh, all of your AV sweaters. Um, thanks again to Advanced AV for giving us some uh, some gift certificates to give to you folks, uh, whoever wins or loses. I'm not quite sure how that works, honestly. Chris Netto and John Green thought this up, so <laughs> whoever they want to give it to. So uh, thanks so much for uh, watching and listening. Again, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, uh, happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa. Uh, please be safe in, in all of your, your holiday uh, endeavors, uh, and we will see you on the next on the other side of uh, January. This has been AV Week. Oh, 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 o